to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we are talking poll taxes, the end of the republic, lawsuits over pronouns, ultra-maganists, and we'll be giving out an award next on Living with Liberty. Across this ranting Democrat, I'm assuming is a Democrat. He might not be a Democrat. For sure, he's on the left. I ran across him on TikTok, and he thought that requiring an ID amounted to a poll tax because people have to pay for IDs. Now, I'm going to play that clip in a minute here, but I'm first going to say this. I'm not going to subject you to the whole video, which is about three minutes. I don't want you getting that drop of anger blood falling out of your nose. I'll play the video, and it proves that few on the Democrat side, I'm going to be fair, there's plenty on the the Republican side, the conservative side, that don't know anything either. Let's be fair. We've got to be real on both sides. But this, this proves that many on the left are in the dark. They actually don't know anything, and that they only like the Constitution when it suits their endgame. Now, this guy referred to Marjorie Taylor Greene as a senator, She's not. She's a representative uh, in the House of Representatives from Georgia. He did nothing but spout off leftist talking points seen on CCPNN or MSDNC about how Republicans are racist. They're doing what they want. They don't follow the law, blah, blah, blah. And to the point of what I want to talk about, he ranted against voter ID amounting to being a poll tax and how a poll tax is unconstitutional, which... It's the only thing you got right in the whole video. It is. No argument. 24th Amendment enshrines the fact that you cannot uh, have a poll tax. So here's the clip. They want to take away the rights of people to vote. They want to go against the Constitution, which says that there is no poll tax, and then tell you you have to pay $25 for a ID to be able to vote. If you want to tell me that isn't a poll tax, you're crazy. There should be no cost to it. Okay, so here's the deal on the ID as a poll tax. As states have implemented their voter ID laws, they have been putting into those laws that anyone who does not have a government-issued ID can get one free for the purposes of voting, and typically that is all they are good for. You can't take it and use it as a driver's license. You may be able to take it to the uh, a bank and open an account and And whatever else you might need an ID for, maybe when they ask for an ID, when you go get a job, it could be used for that. Uh, What I found wasn't necessarily clear on that, Um, on using it for those other items. So for the sake of argument, let's just say it's just good for voting. You're not going to be able to go and get a driver's license for free, which I think was his point. You can get this ID for free. He thought they were charging, states were charging for this voter-only ID. It could have been uh, my take as uh, he was ranting more about having to go and in thought of getting a driver's license and being charged for that driver's license. Yes, every DMV on the planet charges for uh, a fee for you to go get a driver's license. 
but states are making it so you can get an ID for free to go and vote. So the reason being here is because when states started putting voter ID laws in place, they found uh, that they were being subject to scrutiny about charges for that voter ID uh, being a, a poll tax. So in 2005, Georgia passed a voter ID law that included a fee for voter identification cards. A federal court found that this version of the law was vulnerable to a poll tax-based legal challenge. And while that case was pending in the courts, Georgia lawmakers revised the law to eliminate the fee. This revision neutralized the poll tax challenge. So the, in essence, the, the, the challenge in the courts went away. And so when the court took the case back up after this revision, it then upheld the law. So Georgia, the lawmakers there, realized that, oh, okay, we're, this is going to not look good. It's going to look like a poll tax. We're saying you have to pay to vote, in essence, right? So they, they took it back to the drawing board. The lawmakers came up with a new law, revised the law, said, okay, we'll give you a voter ID for free. All you have to do is ask for it. And then the court took the case back after revision. It said, yep, this is good now, no poll tax. Voter ID, good, good to go on that. So since then, since that, uh, that legal challenge in Georgia, states have consistently included provisions for free ID cards in their voter ID laws, thereby neutralizing this guy's argument that a voter ID law requiring voter ID is a, amounts to a poll tax. You have choices. If you, don't, if you choose not to get a driver's license and, and pay the cost for that, You've, and I don't know how in this day and age you get around with, with um, not having an ID. You basically need it, like I said, for everything. Open an account. Open a bank account. Um, or, or go to the store and buy alcohol. I mean, you need an ID of some sort to do just about everything. So some get around it. There's still millions. Yes, there's still millions without IDs. So... His argument is it holds no weight then that you'd have to pay for that uh, driver's license. But states, if you need one for whatever reason, an ID, because you don't have one to vote, we'll give you one. And to further hammer this point home that states are with voter ID laws. We have one in Wisconsin here are making it very easy to vote making it very easy and making it very known that, hey, you can get a free ID. I was at my town hall the other day, and they have a rack of literature there. And front and center in that rack of information, they have for the various programs or uh, town information, things like that, front and center was a flyer on how to get a free ID for the purpose of voting. And most, if not all, the of the other states with strict requirements of showing ID at the polls have provisions in their laws for giving a free ID to those without, uh, without one to, to vote. There's a number of states with ID laws that aren't necessarily as strict, like you have to bring it to the poll. Like here in Wisconsin, you have to bring it to the poll and show it right at the poll there, or you have to show it uh, when you uh, register for like an absentee ballot. So we're very strict state on that. Um, but there's a number of other states out there that have ID laws that aren't as strict, and they allow for alternate methods of voting, including casting a provisional ballot and returning later with an ID. Or you can bring something in with your signature on it and match it. They'll match it. Or bring in a, a, a bank statement or an electrical bill. So th this idea that ID of some sort is a poll tax is ridiculous because states uh, from the strictest uh, measures of you have to have your ID the day of you uh, of uh, voting to, well, you can have some of these other options to vote. We'll accept those. It's ridiculous. There's no poll tax here.
again, like I said, they don't know anything. Didn't do any research into this. Just wanted to go on TikTok and rant and look smart. You look foolish. The idea, and take this broader now, this idea that we hear that voters are being suppressed, that the vote is being suppressed, is just utter nonsense. Like I said, states are making it easy to vote. They're giving you an ID if you don't have one. They're making it readily available. They're making alternate, uh, giving voters alternate options to vote. Nobody is suppressing anything here. It's it's just the continued perpetuation of this narrative that the the Republicans, that conservatives, want to suppress the vote, that they're they're suppressing the vote of and the voice of the people. It's it's just straight up lying to people. It's straight up gaslighting. States make it easy to vote. They'll give you an ID. So this notion of an ID being a poll tax is unfounded and it's ridiculous. If you're listening to the audio-only show today and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or are viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit that subscribe button. The more subscriptions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by algorithms, and the more we are able to spread the truth. Are we in the last days of the Republic? It certainly feels that way sometimes, and Victor Davis Hanson lays out a case for it in his piece in the Daily Signal titled Last Days of the Republic, Leftist Policies Could Push America to Its Breaking Point. Hanson opens the article by saying we are entering uncharted revolutionary territory, and we as Americans may bear witness to things that would have never been thought of being seen in this country over the next five months. So he's saying... Basically, up to the election, we are definitely in for some rough times. I don't disagree with him there. Now, my overall take on the tone of the article is probably more on the optimistic side of things. I get what Victor Davis Hanson was getting at here in writing this article. It hopefully spurs action. It hopefully puts a sense of uh, realism into where, where we are as a country, what we're facing as a country. But my take is probably more on the optimistic side of things and and how I view things and what I'm seeing on the ground here. And when I think revolutionary, I think of us in, in this time. We're trending back towards constitutional rule of law. We're, ta- we're, we're trending back and people are getting more involved in, in what's going on locally. They're getting more involved in understanding, knowing, and asserting their, constitutional, uh, their constitutionally protected rights. Uh, another thing that makes me think about this that kind of you want to call it a revolution, I guess, fine, is in moving back towards what was intended at, at the founding of our country. I, I, I've not seen, I don't recall a time in my life where I've seen as many flags on display in people's yards on their vehicles as I have over the past couple of years. I've not seen as much interest in our founding documents as principles and civics, I mean, good civics courses for that matter, as we have witnessed in the past couple of years. We may be on the cusp of a full-on revival. I wouldn't want, you know, I'd want to use a revolutionary term here, a revival, let's call it, back to those principles that have made this country an exceptional place to live over the course of its 245-plus-year history. Now, the flip side to all this, the flip side to all this renewed patriotism and and, uh, renewed interest in our founding documents and our history, is that the deep state runs deep. Its tentacles are far-reaching and powerful. And the slide we have endured as a country has been precipitous, as Hansen notes in his piece when he writes, the traditional bedrocks of the American system, a stable economy, energy independence, vast surpluses of food, hallowed universities, a professional judiciary, law enforcement, and a credible criminal justice system are dissolving. And you know what? He's not wrong in this assessment. We've all seen it. 
We've seen our economy erode under the weight of massive government spending, deficit spending, which is now driving inflation to 40-year highs. Our energy independence was robbed from us. It's now gone. We've been going around like that beggar with our hat out around the world to to try and, and get co- other countries to produce more oil. Our institutions are withering under politicization. Think FBI, the CIA, schools, DHS. Name, a, name an institution. It's been politicized. It's been weaponized by the progressive radical left, and it's now politicized. Everything is, is looked at through a lens of politics. Criminal penalties are applied under that lens of politics. The southern border is open, and our education system is light on education, heavy on indoctrination these days. Now, there's a bit of good news in all this, if you want to call this next thing good news. These issues are all self-inflicted and correctable. We just have to want to do the work, and we have to do the work. If we do the work, we can reverse these trends. We can clean up our institutions. We can push the crap that's infiltrated our schools out of our schools. We can get back to making sure we are energy independent. We can get our borders secured. We have to do the work. We have to take an active role in our government. We have to be that buzzing fly around the heads of our lawmakers to make sure they understand our position and what we want. We can reverse this. We let it happen. We can reverse this. This is a country where the people have the power. As much as they try and gaslight us and tell us we don't, we the people have the power. We can reverse this. And whether the republic is at its end or not is up to us. And Victor Davis Hanson makes note of this, and he says this in his piece, kind of alluding to that fact. Remember, all these catastrophes are self-induced. They are choices, not fate. The U.S. has the largest combined gas, coal, and oil deposits in the world. It possesses the know-how to build the safest pipelines to ensure the cleanest energy development on the planet. Inflation was a deliberate Biden choice for short-term political advantage he kept printing trillions of dollars, incentivizing labor non-participation, and keeping interest rates at historical lows at a time of pent-up global demand. I've said it on previous shows that everything we have experienced and are experiencing now is reversible. We just have to want to take up the challenge of fixing it. It's not an impossible task to do so, and as a country, we have face similar, if not longer, odds than we face today and have always come through. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it impossible? No, it can be done. We were badly outgunned in the Revolutionary War and prevailed. We had no business of winning the War of 1812, and we did. We fought a civil war. We had the high inflation of the Carter era, which Reagan reversed in the early 80s. Every time our republic emerged uh, from these, uh, from you know these different perceived catastrophes, self-inflicted wounds, it, it always emerged for the better and stronger. Yes, if we let things continue down their current path with the apathy we've had toward government that led us to this point, with the attitude that they're just going to do what they're going to do, they don't listen to us, blah blah blah. You know, insert whatever excuse. You've made here, I've made the same ones. I, you, many of you know I ran for office and I've spent uh, this past year and I spent years saying I don't think I could ever do it because I couldn't deal with the government, but I had to do it because at a point you need good people in office. So I ran. I didn't make it, but at least I ran. I, I took that charge up to try and be part of the solution here. And that's what we need to do. We need, we need to not have that apathy anymore. We're not being left alone. The government continues to try and creep in on our everyday lives. We have to push that apathy aside, do the work, and, not, and, then, and then the hard part, not let that apathy return when things get good again. 
not get complacent and make sure our children don't get complacent. We need to get back to teaching freedom and liberty because if we don't, it's lost. So if we can, if we can reverse the trends, we push the apathy out, we win. But if we don't do that, if we don't reverse and stop doing what led us to this point, then yes, we do lose the republic. If we're willing to stand up, brush off whatever barb the left wants to throw at us, because that's what it is at this point. They're, the deep state runs so deep. They have media sycophants. It's just, you're a racist. You're a misogynist. Because you don't agree with me, I'm going to crush your free speech. We've all seen it. We need to be willing to brush that stuff off. And we need to expose the truth of what's going on in our country. And if we do, our country will survive. And it'll prosper. And it'll get back to what it was. We have to want it, though. We have to be willing to persist. When times get tough, when names get called, we can't just curl up in the fetal position and go back to whatever we were doing and say, well, we'll just let them, we'll just placate them, we'll let them do whatever they want. You go back, we've, we've done the same thing. We've done the same thing over decades that Neville, Neville Chamberlain did when Nazi Germany was running across Europe. He placated, he attempted to placate Hitler, and it eventually ended up, the, the Nazi army eventually ended up on his doorstep, and in comes uh, Winston Churchill. We've had we've had a much slower uh, a much slower progression of that. We've placated the left forever with these stupid ideas they've had, and we've gotten to the point where everything's political, where people are being spied on. We have political uh, prisoners in this country because we weren't willing to persist. We said, "Oh, okay, all right. Well, it's not really affecting me too much. I'll let that go." Oh, okay. Oh, you want to teach my kid that? Well, that that doesn't seem that bad. Let's go ahead and and let this anti-American, it it may be a little anti-American, but it's still um, kind of American-ish, so we'll let that go. We can't let that go anymore. We have to be willing to persist. People are fed up, and Victor Davis Hanson lets us know what to expect because people are fighting back. Victor Davis Hanson lets us know what to expect. He writes this in his piece. So as the public pushes back, expect at the ground level more doxing, cancel culture, deplatforming, ministries of disinformation, swarming the private homes of officials they target for bullying, and likely violent demonstrations in our streets this summer. We have to be ready for these things. Victor Davis Hanson, 100% correct. We have to be ready for these things, and we have to not shy away from them. Uh, not not that you know don't go and get into violent demonstration obviously but we have to stand up to the governmental bullying we have to stand up to the leftist bullying we have to show that their name calling doesn't affect us that we don't care we're going to keep going about our business because we are on the side of truth we are right now tom at rucksack radio just did his i call it annual show at this point i've been listening to his show for Oh, a few years now. I think he's been doing it two or three years. So it uh, seems like he does an annual show on personal safety. I'm going to link that in the description box because this show contains everything we need to be cognizant of as I am with him in thinking that this year, being an election year, the left is going to ratchet up the violence once again, especially in their blue strongholds. We need to be ready for that. Sometimes it's unavoidable, unavoidable to go into these blue cities. We have to be ready to defend ourselves. We have to know the signs of when things are going to start popping off and have a plan. We have to have a strategy to either fight back if, if that's what it requires or find the way out so we don't get caught up in the violence. So I'm going to link Tom's show in, in the description box today. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, give it a listen. Uh, a lot of great practical information and tools in there on how to keep yourself safe. And it's unfortunate that he has to do a show like that, but he has to, and we have to be cognizant of it because the left's toolbox at this point consists of violence and lies, and that's it. They have no policy position strength. They have no ideas that work. Their only aim at this point is power, 
So their only toolbox for getting people to comply at this point is violence and continued gaslighting. We need to continue to be ready to counter that with truth and light, to take the high road, to not get swept up in the violence, to not get swept in the emotion. If there's something brewing at a demonstration you're at that, that, that's uh, going to lead to violence, we know there's been plants from our politicized three-letter agencies in some of these demonstrations that have gone on. We need to be cognizant of that, and as things start getting rowdy, be the voice of reason, be the voice of calm, get people out of there. And now I want to end this section with this. So Davis uh, Hansen closes his piece with this. When revolutionaries undermine the system, earn the antipathy of the people, and view or face looming disaster at the polls, it is then they prove most dangerous, as we shall see over the next few months. Like I said, he's not wrong. I think we are in for a rough few months here leading up to midterms. Democrats see the writing on the wall. They are going to be swept out local, state, federal level. It's going to happen. Book it. They see that. And this is, they're going to be at their most dangerous at this point. We need to be aware of what the end game is here for the left and be ready to counter it. They are a cornered animal at this point. The Democrat Party and their legacy media sycophants are in what I believe to be their last days of relevance and are desperate to hold on to their power and influence, making them especially dangerous, making them especially likely to turn a blind eye to violence, to ratchet up the violent rhetoric, to continue to try and gaslight people, to to put out more ministries of disinformation. We have to be ready for that. And as Tom said in his show, we need to have a plan, practice that plan, and be ready to execute it should the need arise. And if we do those things and we keep persistent with the truth and, and showing people the truth and shining light on the lies, we will see the restoration of our republic. Now, on to the next story here. A little bit of a local one, but... Um, it could happen anywhere. We have the great pronoun wars that are heating up here in Wisconsin, especially, I'm sure, everywhere. But this is a story I have from, from Wisconsin here. So I have a story right here, great state of Wisconsin, where you never would have thought something like this would take place. But it has. It's about a lawsuit filed by a middle school, by a middle school, against a few students because they didn't use the correct pronouns. And it's from an area that I used to live near. And I can attest to that area being a fairly conservative area. So Keele Middle School filed charges against three boys for sexual harassment. Yes, you heard that right. Sexual harassment for failing to use the correct pronouns. Uh, seriously, this is where we're at now with this. This is where we're at. We Someone doesn't use whatever pronoun they, they, another person wants, it's kids, we're going to charge them with sexual harassment. Are you freaking kidding me? Well, one, here, uh, let me say this. First, even in conservative areas, you know what, pull your, school, your kids out of these schools until they get the message. The, these schools are far too gone. Pull them out and, and you know, fight with your kids on the outside of them. If you can, I understand Life situation. I get. I get it. Life situation. Do what you can. Uh, pull them out. That, that's how they'll get the message. If you gotta leave them in, well, you know what? Fight with them in. Uh, you, you, we have to do that. This, this is just. You're, this is just stupid. And, and secondly, here is the stupidity of sexual harassment for not using the correct pronouns. Who the hell can keep track of people's pronouns these days? Who can do that? We have to go around with a little notebook of, okay, well, Jimmy is he, him, uh, Johnny is she, they, whatever. I, what? Who the hell can keep track? Who, I, I mean, honestly, 
honestly, who can keep track of these, this crap? It just, it's stupid. It's getting stupid. Sexual harassment because these three kids didn't use the correct pronoun. It, it'll get better in a minute here. And by better, I mean you might laugh or you might roll your eyes. It's just stupid. But anyway, so here's what the student's mom, Rosemary, or one student's mom anyway, uh, Rosemary Rabideau had to say about the incident upon getting a call from the principal of the school. She said this, I immediately went into shock. I'm thinking sexual harassment. That's rape. That's inappropriate touching. That's incest. Rabideau continued, what has my son done? So she didn't even know at this point. It's just uh, from what I gathered from the story, the school principal called up and said, hey, um, we're going to be charging your kid with sexual harassment. I mean, then, and that's where you go, right? It's it's the inappropriate comments. It's rape. It's uh, what she said, inappropriate touching. It's it's making someone feel uncomfortable, right, in that respect of just usually using, uh, you know, innuendo and, 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 you know, disgusting language, let's call it. Now, here's where it turns a bit. So she didn't know at this point. She's thinking, oh, my gosh, uh, what did my kid do? So it turns out her son called somebody she instead of their preferred they, them. Hell, maybe I'll announce my pronouns to be supreme leader of all planet Earth and sue everybody who fails to call me by my preferred pronoun. A lawsuit like this is the kind of thing that opens up the can of stupidity that anybody can do this. Especially if it if it goes to court and and gets decided for uh, the the one that got their nose in a snit about not being called the right pronoun. I mean, what what at what point then does that prevent any of us from going around and saying my pronoun is this, and if you don't call me this, I'm going to uh, uh, file a lawsuit? That just ridiculous. How stupid is this? And then uh, the the cherry on top here. It turns out they, them, was having a tenter, temper tantrum, and Rabideau's son was defending a friend who was really a quiet-spoken, kind of shy kind of kid from the description in the story. So Rabideau's son comes to his, the, his friend's aid. So here's how the incident played out according to Rabideau's son, as retold by Rosemary Rabideau. She said this, and she, meaning the... Uh, the student with the pronoun issue here. She had been screaming at one of Braden's friends to use proper pronouns, calling him a profanity. And this friend is very soft-spoken and kind of just sunk down in his chair. Braden finally came up defending him, saying he doesn't have to use proper pronouns. It's his constitutional right to not use them. You can't make him say things. There you have it. You have some green-haired adolescent whose parent no doubt enabled this crap, screaming at this poor kid. Uh, and, Rabido, and Rabido's son comes to defend him. And I'd just like to add this in here. Oh, by the way, does beautifully in utilizing the defending and assertion of constitutional rights in coming to the aid of his friend. What What is the deal here? Why is it these... The, I mean, you have a leftist in training here. Why is it they always go to screaming and yelling and, and calling people names and profanities? Someone insert the different current thing chip in this girl's head. Ridiculous. And for his efforts, for uh, Braden Rabideau's efforts, he and his friends get hit with a sexual harassment suit under Title IX, which prohibits gender-based harassment. Now, uh, I went a little, did a little digging into this here. What's, what's Title IX and what's the prohibition on gender-based harassment? Here's what gender-based harassment under Title IX is defined as per the HHS website. Yes, the HHS's own website says this. Gender-based harassment is unwelcome conduct based on an individual's actual or perceived sex. It includes slurs, taunts, stereotypes, or name-calling, as well as gender-motivated physical threats, attacks, 
or other hateful conduct. Now, it's important. You might be thinking right now, oh, well, eh, we blurred the line so much on gender these days, that could mean anything. Here's the examples that HHS gives on their website as to what constitutes potential gender harassment. First one they give. Male graduate, uh, graduate students sabotage the results of female graduate students' research. Hospital denies student an internship in its training and outreach program after an initial interview. Two, supervisor of internships remarked to colleagues that the student did not look sufficiently feminine for the role. I think uh, because my audience is super smart, I think you're picking up on the pattern here. HHS defines things in a male-female paradigm. It says nothing about those identifying as meatball-eating mountain emus. It says nothing about the refusal to use someone's pronouns or preferred pronouns as far as gender harassment goes. It states the examples in the context of male-female relationships, all just admitting there are only two genders. You can only perceive someone as male or female. There are two genders, two sexes, whatever you want to call it. End of story. Now, whatever you want to do, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you want to go out and be whatever, fine. We have that freedom and that right in this country to do so without repercussions of the government throwing us off a building or whatever else happens in some of these less uh, free countries. You do that. I don't care. But don't jam it down my throat and don't jam it down everybody else's throat either. That isn't your right. Now back to the uh, HHS uh, example here for a second. It, it also does not seem to provide provisions for someone speaking truth in that if they appear to be a female, they are referred to as her or she. So it doesn't say, like I said, it doesn't provide the provision for a, a, you know, a pronoun uh, issue here with a, you're harassing me because you're sexually because you're not calling me by what I want to be called by. Whatever. So calling someone, her or she, hardly in this description, in this descriptor from the HH website, uh, website, hardly fits the bill of a slur, taunt, or other hateful conduct. Now, the lawyers hired by the families, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, they're fantastic. Um, we've done a little work with them here in our own district, and they do great work with, throughout the state of Wisconsin on protecting the rights. They do a lot of things within schools on protecting rights, getting the uh, porn books out of the library, things like that. So these, these families that, are, that were hit with this lawsuit by the school have hired Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty to, to take up the case. And this is uh, what they say. They're saying these charges need to be dropped immediately on the grounds of it not being sexual harassment under Title IX under their own policy, the school, under federal law, and it's probably a First, event, a first Amendment violation. I'd, I'd take the prob probably out of their statement there. It is a First Amendment violation. They go on to say in their statement, almost certainly, if that's their theory, that's solely using the wrong pronoun that it would be a First Amendment violation. So if that's, uh, then that's from Luke Berg, the attorney representing uh, the, the boys here in this case. He says that if their theory of not using their pronoun, the, the preferred pronoun, is, is the basis for this case, that's a First Amendment violation, full stop, end of story. I say exactly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful we have uh, lawyers and law firms that are willing to take these kinds of cases up. Uh, I would expect that if this case did make it to trial, if it does make it in front of a judge, that 
get a reasonable judge and that that judge throws it out right away on these grounds of First Amendment violation. Nobody was being malicious. Nobody was being attacked. Nobody was being hateful. Nobody was being taunted. Doesn't fit the Title IX definition of of gender harassment. Again, if you have school-age kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, find a way to pull them out of these government schools. I, I get it. Again, I, they, I, I get everybody's got life, uh, different uh, life positions. There are different places in their life. I get it. Find a way to do it, though. Um, th- these government schools are ruining kids' lives. They are making now, they are making blatant attempts to force ideology on kids through misrepresentation of the law. That's what's happening here. Keele Middle School is trying to force this ideology on kids by misinterpreting, by misrepresenting the law. All right. Are you looking for some new gear to show off your Patriot Pride this Memorial Day? Living with Liberty Outfitters has you covered. Whether it be a new T-shirt, hat, sweatshirt, tank top, or drinkware, we've got you. Head to livingwithlibertypodcast.com, click the store link to find the next addition to your wardrobe or housewares collection. And as I did last year, starting now through the end of June, all proceeds from sales will be donated to the A Soldier's Child Foundation. All right. My ultra MAGA brethren. It seems that Joe Biden just didn't come up with that on the fly. Nor did the handlers who wrote the teleprompter messages he was reading to us. Nope. The red-headed stepchild of press secretaries was lying to you again when she said the resident just came up with it on the fly. But you already knew that. According to a piece in Red State by Nick Arama, Ultramaga and the attacks on the MAGA brand were the result of a six-month research project to try and target Republicans headed by who? Biden advisor Anita Dunn and by the Center for American Progress Action Fund, a, you guessed it, liberal group. You heard that right. Ultramaga took six months of research to come up with. And for that six months of research and throwing it out as, as some sort of derision and, and insult to the conservatives, it's become a badge of honor. Uh, and even better to this story, it was the Washington Compost of all places that broke this bit of information, that it, that, that the Biden administration authorized a six-month research of something to, to attack Republicans. Even the compost is starting to be forced into admission of what a debacle this circus sideshow of an administration is. There is absolutely nothing this administration does right. Instead of focusing in on the multiple disasters they've already caused, the administration allocated uh, resources to a research project on how to attack Republicans. So while the border is open, babies are starving, our our enemies are plotting against us, and inflation is raging, the Biden regime, which, oh, by the way, has absolutely zero chance of re-election at this point, spends time and energy on a six-month research project on the best way to attack Republicans, and they can't even get it right, because as soon as Biden mentioned ultra-MAGA, conservatives took it and branded themselves with it as a badge of honor. Absolutely glorious. These are the things we have to continue doing. Take their lemons and turn it into lemonade. Take what they mean for insults and turn it into a badge of honor. Show these morons that their attacks have zero effect on how we live our lives. And if they give us a badge of honor like this, wear it with pride. All right, let's wrap things up today. I am going to go ahead and make an executive an executive decision and award the May Dolt of the Month right now. 
Yes, I know it is only the middle of the month, but nobody is going to top our winner. I, if they do, we'll do two this month. Nobody is going to top our winner. Eric Swalwell, Fang Fang's boy toy, is our May winner. Check out this tweet from Swalwell as he calls for a gun grab in in uh, uh, kind of the aftermath of this Buffalo uh, massacre here. So Swalwell tweeted this out. My four-year-old just FaceTimed to ask what I'm doing to help the people in Buffalo and why did the bad man do this? Absolutely gutting. This cannot be his normal. It's time to ban assault weapons. All right. I'll give him this. A four-year-old probably knows how to FaceTime. I guarantee you they do. In this day and age of of, um, uh, technology, they do. But how many four-year-olds have a grasp on current events? Next to none. Throw in the fact that Mr. Fang Fang can't even define what an assault weapon is, and you have a recipe for plenty of well-deserved backlash, much of which is centered around how his four-year-old likely has no awareness of the Buffalo event, period. Which led to this next tweet. Swalwell tweeted this out. I love the no four-year-old would ask this takes. You're in absolute denial if you think our kids aren't watching the horrors we are allowing. The tweet then has what a snap, uh, what looks like to be a snapshot of uh, what appears to be a text message between Swalwell and his wife showing a conversation about what his four-year-old son is asking for. So for those that are listening on audio, Swalwell's wife responds to the, the inquiry of, uh, of Mr. Fang Fang here about what his four-year-old son wants. His, his wife says this, he wants to know if you are going to help the family of the people who died at the supermarket massacre and that he's watching the news. And then a snapshot uh, also shows a picture of a little kid, probably about four, looking up at the TV, turned in, uh, tuned into CCPNN's coverage of the Buffalo shooting, because what else would be on in the Swalwell household, right? Now, if you look closer at the picture, and I, I invite you, if you're listening on audio, go find the Rumble. Fast forward to about the 45, 46-minute mark here. Look at this picture. So if you look at the picture, uh, close up, uh, closely at the picture, it reveals that this doesn't appear to be a little boy. It's supposed to be Swalwell's son. It's an, it doesn't appear to be a little boy, though, but rather a little girl. So calls into question, is this really a picture from his house, right? Uh, for those of you watching on the video, you can clearly see there's a hair up, uh, hair up in a messy bun with a big bow in it and what looks to be um, pink and purple striped puffy sleeves of, uh, you know, either a little girl's bless, uh, blouse or dress. Bless, that's I combine those there. All right, a blouse or dress. So either Swalwell has a cross-dressing son, which I couldn't find anything mentioning that, or he is continuing his streak of being an inept liar. Now, I researched this picture back. It's not one that's taken from um, uh, anywhere in the Internet and kind of just pasted in there for expediency. So it's not one that's been out there. Maybe. I mean, maybe he's, you know, he's letting his son be a little girl that's whatever i mean just child abuse in my opinion he's four can't make that decision for himself doesn't even know what it means but here you have enabling parents potentially but it's clearly looks like a little girl in the picture maybe it's a niece i don't know and you know not to be too tinfoil hatty here but the tv looks like a photoshop job to me it's showing um uh, cnn coverage but you know, I looked at this from a couple different angles, zoomed in, zoomed out. It looks like a Photoshop job for me because for all we know, what we know about four-year-olds, the original show that was on that TV could have been tuned into whatever weird-ass kid show is on these days. And then it's, you know, you you do the Photoshop job of the, the CNN coverage just to make it look like his son is watching the coverage of the Buffalo incident, wondering about this now. I've had four four-year-olds of my own, plus several four-year-old nev- nephews, plus I know several other four-year-olds, and have worked in my lifetime with 
preschoolers. No four-year-old is ever watching anything not in cartoon form or over-the-top buffoonish live action with any intensity. If it's not, you know, overtly stupid live action, the only thing I can think of right now is like the Wiggles because that's what my oldest would watch. And, oh, my gosh. Anyway, they're not watching anything not, not entertaining to them with any sort of intensity. So, so right there, I mean, how are you saying your four-year-old's asking about this? They have no clue. They have no concept about what's going on. They barely understand death if they even do it at four years old. If you're letting your four-year-old watch the news, congratulations on stripping them of their innocence and taking away their childhood, and I hope you can afford the therapy bills later on. Swalwell is a sad sack liar who has no accomplishments other than getting took by a Chinese spy and filling his drawers on live TV. Using his kid, if it's even his kid in the picture, like I said, it's clearly a little girl. So even if it's his kid, using it's the kid, his kid, as a prop in trying to advance a gun grab is low, even for Democrats. Swalwell is just an all-around buffoon and an embarrassment to America And for trying to use his child as a prop in a political message, takes home the Living with Liberty Dolt of the Month for May. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. As I mentioned earlier, all proceeds now through the end of June will benefit a Soldier's Child Foundation. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.